Chapter Three of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three in Mr. Hopling's orchard. There were many colored flags fluttering in the sunshine and the braying of a brazen band in Headingham by noontide on the festival day, a combination which to the inhabitants seemed all that this world can give of splendor and excitement. The tents glimmered whitely through the leafage of the elms that screened Mr. Harper's meadow the tea-tables were already ranged under the old apple-trees in mr hopling's orchard where ruddy cherries and young green apples contrasted pleasantly with the more sombre tints of the foliage very few of these ripe cherries would remain to mr hopling after set of sun but a man must do something for his parish and mr hopling was a native of headingham who had made money as a butcher in monkhampton and retired to his ancestral fields a wealthy man that orchard had belonged to his great-grandfather and represented his patrimonial estate and mr hopling was beyond measure proud of it he liked to be asked for the loan of it for the school feast he liked to think that without his aid the children could hardly have had their tea-drinking at all and he endured the loss of his cherries with calm magnanimity having taken care to thin the fruit as much as he could before this annual festival the trees were ever so old and gnarled and crooked and encrusted with a pale sea-green parasitical growth which was born of the salt breeze that swept over that tranquil valley as if amphitrite herself had wreathed her wet arms around those rugged old trunks and sinuous old branches wherever a flag could be struck conveniently or inconveniently a flag appeared and those patches of lively primitive colour showed brightly against the cool green of the verdure or the warmer blue of the cloudless summer sky people were congratulating one another upon the splendour of the day so lucky when it might have taken a turn this very day after such a long spell of heat and dry weather there had been a short service in the old church the only cool resort in headingham on such a day for those solid walls and deeply recessed windows admitted little sunshine while the dense black green of cypress and yew cooled the eye that wandered to the prospect outside the open casements at two o'clock the children were to march in procession to the orchard at two o'clock the fancy fair was to begin the county people would arrive a good deal later no doubt for it would be beneath county people to be early the monkhampton people less exalted and more eager for amusement were likely to assemble much sooner than burke's landed gentry already the headingham damsels were decking their stalls running to and fro chattering giggling interchanging small secrets and delicate insinuations admiring one another's dresses all new for the occasion what a variety of pink and blue and peach and cherry colour and primrose sylvia's soul sickened as she watched them from the orchard gate where she was waiting for the coming of the children those tiresome perspiring girls and boys whom it was her duty to keep in order and amuse at the risk of being lamed for life by their hobnailed boots and i am to be poor always she said to herself with a sigh as she contemplated those bright fresh dresses in the field there were the white grenadines mary peter had made for the miss toynbees spare and somewhat angular damsels who seemed all grenadine flounces and blue satin quilling they look as if they were dressed for a ball thought sylvia what a dowdy creature i must seem beside them and mrs standon will be here i suppose to stare at me with those odious cold blue eyes mrs standon her arch-enemy whose injustice had dashed the cup of hope and joy from her lips could she be mortal and not detest mrs standon she was altogether mortal and she hated her lover's mother most heartily 
dress has so strong a hold upon a girl's mind especially upon a girl bred in a village that in the contemplation of her better-clad sisters sylvia for the moment forgot her own beauty she forgot that she started with an advantage which all the arts of millinery could not counterbalance she had dressed herself in white a plain white muslin gown with no embellishment save a narrow frill of lace round the throat with no vestige of coloured ribbon to contrast its purity she had laid aside her hat for she was to be in the shady orchard all day and a hat would have been only an encumbrance she wore no gloves for her hands were to be busy by and by cutting cake and bread and butter the golden glory of her auburn hair crowned her head and gave her a nobler air than any coronet that was ever fashioned by the jeweller she had the art of twisting the long mass of plates which would have transformed her into goethe's margaret at once had she let them hang down into a perfect coronal surmounting the ivory forehead and giving added height to a form that was already tall what a gawk that girl looks in her long straight gown said miss toynbee to miss palmer the doctor's daughter and she's as vain as a peacock gets herself up to attract attention see what a lot she's made of her hair and it's as red as it well can be replied miss palmer but the gentlemen all admire her i suppose it's because she looks like one of those horrid pre-raphaelite pictures added the young lady who had no enthusiasm for art a rustic beauty who does not know her position is apt to be a stumbling-block in the way of young ladies of standing like the miss toynbees and there was a prevailing idea in headingham that miss carew did not know her position in the first place she was a great deal too pretty for a village schoolmaster's daughter it might be argued that for this she was hardly responsible but the headingham young ladies complained that she made too much of her prettiness set herself up as a lady and drew upon herself the attention of mankind by all manner of arts and subtleties in short she was just the kind of young woman who in a more conservative age would have been burned as a witch nor did her delinquencies end here it had been rumoured of late that she had been seen walking in the meadows and lanes at dusk with edmund standon really the most eligible young man in headingham society carew had better look after that pretty daughter of his said the men the women whispered about it to one another and held themselves a little more aloof from miss carew than before those who had favoured her with their condescending notice withdrew it all at once passed her by with blank vacant looks as if there were no such person between them and the empty air sylvia perceived the change and smiled to herself bitterly with that bitterness which some natures acquire in the school of adversity i suppose they think a monkhampton's banker's son could not possibly marry me she thought there will be some pleasure in making them all savage by and by to-day standing at the orchard gate she felt herself very much alone edmund standon was not to come till later in the afternoon and was to escort his mother and miss rochdale and there could be little chance of his giving much time to her it would be but a look a hand-clasp a few whispered words perhaps for the eyes of their little world would be upon them she had begged him to keep the secret of their engagement yet with a woman's inconsistency she felt it hard that they could be together so little to-day he would be in his place among the great ones of the land she in a lower world and looked down upon by his people her father upon the plea of indifferent health managed to creep out of the business altogether you have plenty of young people who know how to amuse the little ones i should only be in the way and the schoolmaster's presence might be a damper he said to the vicar let sylvia and the other girls manage it all 
so to sylvia mary peter alice cook and such of the gentry who cared to assist in this philanthropic task the business of the children's entertainment was left the juvenile revellers came whooping in presently all breathing hard after their manner half a dozen elderly young ladies accompanied them led by the vicar his daughters had a stall in the bazaar and thus as they said themselves got out of the school treat the day's festivities were inaugurated as the reporter of the monkhampton courier afterwards stated by a distribution of new penny buns as a light refreshment appropriate to a hot day an unauthorized old man was driving a brisk trade in lemonade and ginger-beer and ripe gooseberries outside the orchard the buns discussed the young revellers proceeded at once to the enlivening sport of taggy taggy touchwood and being fairly set going would require little more than general supervision until tea-time which festive period was three hours off sylvia noticed that the ladies about the vicar had that air of being unconscious of her presence which she had observed in other ladies of late in a word it was a clear case of taboo the vicar good easy man addressed her with his usual familiar kindness the whispers of scandal were slow to reach his charitable ears she felt the sting of those cold unseeing looks though she had hated the patronizing graciousness she had enjoyed till lately from the same people it seemed a hard thing to be judged thus and misjudged only because her father was poor a hard thing that all headingham should deem it impossible for edmund standen to mean well by her edmund is right she thought these people ought to know of our engagement will he ever have the courage to own me before them all she wondered afterwards when she had walked slowly away from the children and their patronesses to a quiet corner of the great straggling orchard a corner where there were plum-trees so old that they grew nothing but gum it was all very well to talk bravely last night when we were alone together under the chestnut between sunset and moonrise and seemed all the world to each other but will he really defy his mother and renounce his fortune for my sake and own a schoolmaster's daughter for his future wife before all these stuck-up purse-proud people whom he has lived amongst all his life this corner of the orchard was on a higher level than mr harper's meadow and sylvia could survey the bazaar as from a platform without running much risk of being seen herself unless any one should happen to look up to the spot where she stood framed in foliage looking across the tangled edge of oak sapling and honeysuckle she had looked forward with some pleasure to this small festival for the vicar had given her a ticket for the bazaar and she and alice cook and mary peter were to have gone into the field together and seen the county people and the stalls with their dainty merchandise and watched the seductive arts by which country-bred young ladies assail the well-filled pockets of country gentlemen and behold here she was watching the scene by stealth as it were from her shady corner lacking courage to go in among the gentry in the face of that taboo to which she had been newly subjected she keenly felt the injustice of the whole thing she profoundly despised the people but she couldn't face those unconscious stares she could not stand before that little world quite alone in her bloom of youth and loveliness if ever i can pay them out of their insolence the payment shall be tenfold she said to herself looking down at the simpering damsels arranging their wares with delicately gloved hands trying to develop stolid young gentlemen with their hands in their pockets or the knobs of their canes in their mouths into purchasers of baby socks or embroidered smoking-caps but i never never shall have such an opportunity she thought what glory is there in marrying a disinherited man it sounds very romantic like a story one reads but what will people say of my husband 
i can fancy their sneering pity for poor edmund standon who married so much beneath him and offended his mother how are we to live without money will edmund be obliged to turn village schoolmaster i wonder like my father he talked about being a clerk in the city but that seems almost as bad i cannot see anything before us except misery but how good and true he is and how dearly i ought to love him her face softened at the thought and a lovely smile crept to the soft full lips the whole character of her beauty which had been curiously cold and hard just now while she thought of that little world which had set itself against her changed as she thought of her lover the face grew youthful and innocent again childlike almost with childhood's tender trustfulness i do love him with all my heart she said to herself the first sound of his voice when we meet after the briefest parting makes me tremble the lightest touch of his hand makes me forget everything except that i love him why should his mother try to separate us he could never find any one to love him as well as i good and brave and true as he is it all comes from living in such a place as heddingham because edmund is good-looking and his father was rich heddingham has set him up as an idol and his mother believes there is no one good enough for him or perhaps she wants him to marry miss rochdale who is like her adopted daughter and has money and never misses the early services and is preached about by everybody in heddingham as a model of all that's good and proper the fair face hardened again with the thought of esther rochdale hers doubtless was the influence that had made mrs standon so cruel so unjust to her son miss rochdale was in love with edmund herself no doubt it's almost wicked when they've been brought up together like brother and sister sylvia said to herself she ought to have a sisterly affection for him and wish to see him happy but those quiet girls are always artful the meadow was filling fast carriages driving up to the gate gaily dressed people alighting a continual exchange of salutations county gentlemen all talking very loud as if they meant all heddingham to hear them the chief and heirs apparent of county families bawling at one another with a curious mixture of heartiness and arrogance sylvia saw the standon party come in at the gate mrs standon leaning on her son's arm esther rochdale on the other side but not upon his arm edmund's mother was a tall woman of about fifty a woman with a fine face regular but somewhat large features blue-gray eyes and iron-gray hair smoothly banded on the broad forehead miss rochdale was of medium height a slim fragile-looking figure a delicate face a pale olive complexion and soft dark eyes a young lady whom her friends called interesting and whom strangers sometimes spoke of as foreign-looking but whom no one had yet called pretty yet that small pale face those large soft eyes that pensive mouth were not without a tender poetry of their own if there was beauty there it was the kind of beauty which the mass of mankind is apt to disregard a subdued and subtle charm like that unpretending loveliness wordsworth loved to sing a hand was slipped through sylvia's arm as she stood watching these latest arrivals i've been all round the orchard hunting for you said mary peter aren't you coming into the field you've got your ticket you know i shan't use it i'd rather watch the people from here what's the use of walking up and down among a lot of people one doesn't know i never knew anyone so changeable as you sylvia as to not knowing the people i don't suppose i know many more of them than you do except customers 
and it's very few of my customers will give me so much as a nod in such a place as this though perhaps they'll come begging and praying of me to-morrow as if i was the queen do mary now try to oblige me with my dress by next tuesday even if you have to sit up a night or two to finish it i assure you it's most important and i shall be so much obliged they don't think of the way they've humiliated themselves when i meet them out of doors come along sylvia i'm not coming you can go yourself i don't want you here how disagreeable you are to be sure but i'll stay a bit to keep you company i dare say you feel extra dull-like seeing mr stanton over there with his ma and miss rochdale and miss peter out of the fullness of her heart put a caressing arm around sylvia's waist i wish you wouldn't do that exclaimed the schoolmaster's daughter releasing herself from the friendly embrace i'm sure it's warm enough without that kind of thing well sylvia you really are the most doesn't mrs standen look nice that's the last black silk dress i made her fifteen shillings a yard i should think and such lace on the body and sleeves nobody in headingham wears such silks and laces as mrs standen and yet she isn't an extravagant dresser never wastes her money on cheap materials and never wears anything but black silk there's miss rochdale she doesn't look bad does she i made her that white muslin isn't it sweet yes said sylvia glancing from the daintily trimmed costume with its pillow lace frillings and pink ribbons to her own poor gown she can afford to wear good dresses with five or six hundred a year to do what she likes with there go and enjoy yourself with the rest of the people down there mary you only vex me with your frivolous talk i'll leave you till your temper improves miss carew answered miss peter with dignity and sylvia was once more alone in the shady corner under the century-old plum-trees much to her own satisfaction was it not just possible that edmund might slip away from his party and find her in this green retreat with its perfume of wild clematis and honeysuckle she watched the little party make the round of the stalls mrs standen stopped to buy something of the vicar's daughters and esther rochdale also took out her purse just to show people how rich she is thought sylvia with an envious pang and there was business transacted to the gratification of all parties edmund left the stall laden with parcels sylvia saw him speak to his mother and then go out of the field gate to put his parcels in the carriage no doubt would he take this opportunity of slipping round to the orchard he could come by a little lane without returning to the meadow sylvia's heart quickened its beating as it always did at the thought of edmund's approach shall i go to the gate and watch for him she asked herself no this is such a quiet spot for us to meet if he loves me as much as he pretends he will find me here i think i could track my way to him if he were to hide in the heart of a great forest love would guide me love guided mr stanton to the corner by the old plum-trees certainly mr hopling's orchard was not a large domain five or six acres at most he came to her and took her to his heart as he had done last night with those strong arms which seemed powerful enough to shield her from every harm my dearest i thought i should find you in some quiet nook like this where we might have five minutes talk away from the eyes of the world how lovely you look in this dress she exclaimed incredulously when every one is dressed so beautifully dress pshaw i see a lot of silly finery but no one who can compare with my sylvia i had a wakeful night darling thinking over all we had talked about 
but got up this morning in excellent spirits i have made up my mind as to the future i shall try to get a situation in the old bank my father's bank you know it is a joint stock business now and has been wonderfully extended since the company bought my father's interest there are branches all over the west of england i know my father's name will stand me in good stead with the directors and i shall rise to a managerial position much sooner than any other man could hope to do as manager of one of the branches i should have five or six hundred a year and on that we can get on capitally and make a happy home for ourselves and our children i have thought it all out sylvia and am quite resigned to my mother's decision how good you are said the girl with a shade of scorn in her look and tone you dance attendance on your mother like a dutiful son knowing that she means to cheat you out of your just due you mustn't use such hard words sylvia there is no question of cheating my mother has a right to dispose as she pleases of money that was left in her control i can't see that cried sylvia impetuously it was meant for you your father saved it for you or the bulk of his fortune at any rate and now you are to toil and slave to earn a pittance it is shameful if i can forgive my mother you must forgive her too sylvia or i shall think you care more for my father's money than for me said edmund gravely it was the first time that he had spoken to her with anything approaching reproof forgive me she said i love you with all my heart i'm not afraid even of poverty with you it shall not be poverty dearest if i can help it and now you had better go back to your mother and miss rochdale they can amuse themselves very well without me for a little while let us talk of the future darling for i don't mean to wait long before you and i begin the world together you mean our marriage to be soon she said looking up at him wonderingly in spite of your mother's decision in spite of everything i am not afraid of the battle of life i am glad it is to be soon said sylvia thoughtfully the headingham ladies look at me as if i were an outcast only because you and i have been seen together mr standen muttered something not complimentary to the headingham ladies people must be told of our engagement at once sylvia he said after that brief interjection my mother knows and every one else must know i'll speak to your father to-night i'm afraid he'll be as much against our marriage as mrs standen but why darling asked edmund surprised was not he edmund standen even without fortune a good match for a parish schoolmaster's daughter because of the change in your prospects answered sylvia my father has suffered so much from poverty that he is more afraid of it than you are edmund and he has some vague idea that i ought to make what he calls a good marriage meaning that you are to marry a man with plenty of money i suppose i think so i should hardly think a father would sell his only daughter to the best bidder it isn't quite so bad as that papa only thinks i ought to marry some one with a settled income but you needn't tell him that mrs standen means to disinherit you she added with a bright look the suppression of a truth never troubled sylvia's conscience what ask his permission to marry you under false pretences i am sorry you should think me capable of such a thing sylvia would it be very wrong well you must do as you please about it only i know if papa hears the truth he will oppose our marriage with all his might i can endure his opposition if you will be loyal dearest we are not bound to sacrifice our happiness to his prejudices 
but we are bound to tell him the truth he has been kept in the dark too long already tell him then answered sylvia with a sigh i must endure his grumbling and lamentations as well as i can you need not endure long sylvia i'll have our bands given out next sunday i am glad of that said the girl all headingham will hear our names given out edmund stanton bachelor of this parish and sylvia carew spinster also of this parish i dare say some of the headingham ladies will feel inclined to start up out of their seats and forbid the bands and your mother how will she sit quietly by to hear that announcement three weeks running my mother has made up her mind to oppose me in the dearest wish of my heart and she cannot complain if that decision brings some pain to herself said edmund standen with a resolute look which sylvia knew very well i accept the punishment she chooses to inflict upon me but i refuse to sacrifice the happiness of my future life i have been an obedient son up to this hour but there has come a time when submission would mean imbecility every man has a right to choose for himself when it comes to the choice that must colour his whole existence even if he is to make a mistake let it be at least his own mistake and not somebody else's the young man spoke rather as if he were arguing out a question which he had been for some time debating with himself the girl listened eagerly and looked up at him with fond admiration yes this was something like a lover a man who would stand firm in opposition to all the world if need were for her sake verily a shield against calamity a rock of strength in the day of misfortune never till this moment had sylvia felt so proud of him are you quite friends with your mother she asked i hope that i know my duty as a son there were some bitter words between us the day before yesterday such words as are not easily forgotten but i could never be wanting in respect to my mother i have striven to show her that i still love and honour her although i take my own course in this matter and has she been kind if possible kinder than usual yet there is a cloud between us and i know she is unhappy we can but trust in time she will forgive me by and by when she learns to know you better that she will never do she has a rooted dislike to me i have seen it in her face but don't let us speak of that edmund what need i care so long as you love me but tell me how miss rochdale takes our engagement is she as angry as your mother mr standen's expression softened at the mention of miss rochdale esther rochdale he said with a half careless tenderness that affection of custom which grows up in the narrow circle of home oh she is the dearest girl in the world and would be the last to disapprove of anything that involved my happiness but i don't suppose she knows of my engagement i haven't said a word to her about it and i dare say my mother has been equally silent you need fear no unpleasantness from esther darling i feel sure that she will be your friend and a true one sylvia looked doubtful but said nothing and now dearest i must run back to them said edmund looking at his watch he had been a quarter of an hour instead of his intended five minutes how swiftly the moments had flown in that quiet corner screened by the moss-grown plum-trees would all his life to come glide past him like that in a dream-like rapture too sweet to seem quite real no there would be his work-a-day life a stern struggle with fortune home and love would be like some magic isle towards which he would steer his bark at set of sun 
across the heavy seas of worldly work and worldly contest a blessed haven from the storms of life so soon edmund said the girl disconsolately my own one i've stayed longer than i intended already my mother will soon be tired of that crowded meadow and the glare of the sun i must be ready to take her home you might come afterwards and see the children at tea i should like it of all things but the toynbees are to dine with us at six i shall have to sit at the bottom of the table for a couple of hours just the nicest time in the evening making believe to enjoy myself good-bye so with a kiss they parted sylvia sorely discontented with fate which seemed inexorable she had hoped that edmund would assist at the tea-drinking chapter three